Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Hey listeners, quick heads up. Today's episode is the first of a two-part interview with our very special guest, and she's doing some truly innovative work in the field of dementia care. So be sure to tune in again next week for the second half of our conversation. And now, on to the show. According to the Centers for Disease Control, more than 5 million Americans aged 65 or older have Alzheimer's disease. By the year 2050, this number is expected to jump to 14 million. Many of you listening have a family member who has Alzheimer's or you know someone with the disease. Yet for all the talk in the media about the latest, most promising research into finding a cure for Alzheimer's, we seldom hear about the most promising and successful strategies around caring for people who have Alzheimer's and related dementia. Well, today we're going to chat with someone who's devoted a huge amount of her time and energy to developing some of those strategies. I'm joined by Deborah Schaus, a writer, speaker, and dementia advocate whose work has appeared in several publications, including the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, Reader's Digest, and the Chicago Tribune, to name just a few. Deborah's also been featured in many anthologies, and her self-published book, Love in the Land of Dementia, Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey, was used as a catalyst for raising over $80,000 for dementia programs. Along with her life partner, Ron, Deborah has held workshops and performed her dramatized stories for Alzheimer's associations and care partners throughout the world. This September, Central Recovery Press will release Deborah's book, Connecting in the Land of Dementia, Creative Activities to Explore Together. The book is chock full of resources and ideas on how to enhance the lives of people living with dementia and their care partners. Deborah Schaus, I am so happy to have you on this show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jan. I'm delighted to be talking with you. Great. So let's set the stage for the listeners. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your family life was like. Well, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was just very lucky to have parents who, interestingly enough, were not quite in love when they got married (laughs) because they were both eager to get on with having a family. Uh But they fell in love during their long marriage. So that was an interesting way to come into the world. One of the things that I um, read in, in your, from your first book, the excerpt, was that before you were born, your mother was an Army registered nurse, which was a career she went into after her first husband died. And I was so touched by the story of how she met your dad and about their long-distance courtship through letters, because my parents actually went through the same thing. My mom was born in Toronto, Canada, and my dad was born in East Rochester, New York, and they had a courtship through correspondence. And I think that's so old-fashioned, I still have the letters And I wondered if you could just tell us about their courtship. I would love to do that. My parents first met each other when they were both serving in World War II. 
near London. Mm-hmm. And my mom had first served in Iceland and then moved over to London. My dad was a supply officer near there. Their best friends, my mom's best friend, Belle, and my dad's best friend, Guy, fell in love with each other. And that's how my parents met each other. But at that point, my dad was married. My mom was grieving over the loss of her husband. And they, you know, just saw each other casually. Mm -hmm. Then, fast forward till the war is over, my mom is living in Boulder, Colorado. My dad is living in Manchester, New Hampshire. And my dad writes a letter to Belle and Max saying, I am ready to get married. I want to meet a nice Jewish girl who wants to raise a family and, if possible, has a good brownie recipe. (laughs) And that's my dad. And so my mom's best friend, Belle, looks at this letter and she says, Fran, you remember Paul Barnett? My mom says, oh, sort of, you know. She says, why don't you jot a note, just a hello, on the bottom of this letter. Mm-hmm. So my mom did that, and that unleashed a flurry of letters from my father. They wrote back and forth. Now, interestingly, I think my mother destroyed all her letters mm-hmm. because when my dad died, we found his letters, but none of hers. So, But they wrote back and forth, and... Um, My father wanted to meet my mother, so she asked him to come to Chicago, where her sister lived. She wanted to meet on neutral grounds, (laughs) so they went to Chicago. They spent a weekend, and during that time, my dad asked my mom to marry him, and she said, well, I'm going to have to think about that. So she went home, and she thought about it, and she said yes. And I asked my, well, I asked both of them at different times, what was it that you know, inspired you to get married. And both of them said they had similar values. That was big for them. They both wanted a family. They both were hardworking. And that drew them together. So they decided to get married more or less on the first date. Or she... They did. He he proposed to her on the first date. Yes. And she agreed soon after. So this flurry of correspondence back and forth occurred after that? Well, some of it was before, and then they were separated until they could get married. So there was correspondence uh, from my dad about how much, you know, he missed her and Uh nice things like that. That's so amazing to think that both men and women actually wrote letters back then. Yes, it is. And it's just a treasure to have them. Yeah, that's terrific. Now, did I hear you correctly in saying that when your dad was in London, he was already married? He was married, and his wife broke up with him with a Dear Paul letter, a Dear John letter. And so he was very devastated by that, and it took him a while to get over that feeling of hurt and disappointment. And your mom had lost her first husband, and how soon after that did she meet Paul, your dad? It was a couple years. She lost her first husband, and then she decided to go to nursing school, and that's where she met Belle. Belle was a very adventurous person. At some point, she um, said to my mom, a bunch of us are going 
down to Florida. Why don't you come with us? And my mom would, like, do her shift, and she then she'd go. They had a little room where they could relax. She'd go sit in that room and cry and cry and cry because oh. she was so sad. Mm-hmm. The Bell said, come with us to Florida. My mom said, well, I'll think about it. And then the war, the United States got into the war, and Bell said, well, instead of going to Florida, we're enlisting in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's and really cool. why don't you come with us? Yeah, and so my mom feeling oh, I don't have anything else to do, <laughs> you know, enlisted. Mm-hmm. And they went over on a troop ship to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Well, so my mom had a really adventurous spirit. Yeah. And um, that kind of started her new life. Oh, that's great. Well, everyone needs a Belle in their life, I think. <laughs> they do. Belle had an even more adventurous spirit than my mom. Well. She was a real character. Well, now, your father is no longer living, if I understand that's you correctly. That's correct. Both my parents have passed on. Okay. And when did they die? Uh, they died about 10 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I, I was surprised. My dad died first. I mm-hmm. thought he would wait. But one of the things somebody told me is, your father died of a broken heart. And it's almost literally true. My dad had a really good death for his personality. He was at his retirement home playing a singular game of pool, which he liked to do in the <laughs> evening. And he had a heart attack and died. Mm. And we believe he was winning. <laughs> so he had a very <laughs> he had an instantaneous death which mm. would have suited him. My mom was still alive, mm. and, um, and she was very deep into dementia at that point. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to tell her what had happened. And Janet actually took me three or four visits to, you know, get the nerve or figure out oh, how to gosh. do that. Yeah. And when I did, you know, I'm not positive she totally understood me, but I felt that she understood me. Uh-huh. And I was really glad that I did tell her. Uh huh. And when you say your dad died of a broken heart, what do you mean by that? He was very dedicated to my mother, and yet he never accepted what was going on with her. It tore him up all the time. He visited her. He was there with her. We strategized as to what we could do to bring her joy and pleasure, mm-hmm. but within him there was a deep sorrow. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, mm-hmm. when was she diagnosed? How old was she? And, and tell us a little bit about how that unfolded and when you started to notice changes. Well, she was in her late 70s when mm-hmm. she was diagnosed. And I have a story about this in Love in the Land of Dementia. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is, I first I thought my parents were not getting along because my dad would call me and complain about my mother. And he would say, she's not listening to me, she's not paying attention. And then my mom would get on the phone and say, he's shouting at me, you know. And this was sort of unusual, but I didn't really understand it. So I thought, there's something going on. And about that time, my brother and I decided... Our parents are feeling stressed. We need to do something. So they were still living in Memphis. Mm -hmm. I was living in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. My brother was living in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So we went down for Mother's Day. So we told my father, we're going to come down. We're going to surprise Mom. Told him when we were coming. And, you know, will you be there 
to sneak us in? Mm -hmm. And he said yes. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I met in the Memphis airport Mm -hmm. and rented a car. And then first thing we did is we went to Walgreens. We bought shiny wrapping paper and tape. And we parked down the street from our growing up house. Mm -hmm. And we wrapped each other all around with paper and we put bows on our heads and <laughs> we kind of hobbled up to the door it was already kind of steamy hot in memphis right. we were starting to sweat right. and we knocked on the door and there was no answer my dad's car was in the driveway but there was no answer so then we knocked and we rang the bell and finally we heard my mother's voice said who is it and we said it's debbie and dan and my mother said who And then I realized she was probably looking out the keyhole, and we had these ribbons (laughs) on our head, so I took off the ribbons, and I said, hey, Mom, it's Debbie and Dan, it's your daughter and son, and she said, who? And that was a big moment for my brother and I when we realized that something larger was happening here. So I said, Mom, it's your daughter and son, where's Dad? And she said, I don't know. So we said, it's okay to open the door. She could not get the door open. So my brother and I crawled through the pyracanthus bushes, which have little thorns all on them, (laughs) to get to my parents' bedroom window and kind of knock on the screen. My dad, I guess, had fallen asleep. Uh He was so exhausted. He woke up. He opened the door. We had a great weekend. We had a wonderful weekend together, but we were on notice that something is happening with mom, and that started the journey for my parents going to see what was, you know, happening, and this was some years ago. People weren't talking about dementia like they are now, and even now, it's hard for people to talk about it. That's one reason the work that Ron and I do and sharing our stories has been so meaningful to us Mm -hmm. because at first I wasn't sharing my stories. I was just talking to a few friends. But as soon as I realized what was going on, I had a lot of feelings to deal with. Mm -hmm. And as a writer, I started writing. So often, I know my mom was also diagnosed with the early stages of Alzheimer's. She's now 87. I, I know she has some cognitive impairment. I don't necessarily agree with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but I was so busy because I was her primary caregiver for a, a long, for three years. We lived together, and I was so busy kind of managing her and managing the house and trying to do things that I really wasn't processing my own emotions around her, her cognitive abilities until much later. So I'm wondering how that worked for you and your brother. That is so well said, Jen, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is. You are so focused on your beloved person who is living with cognitive impairment or dementia that you forget about the grief and loss that's an inherent part of this journey. And I think for me in the initial stages, mom was in Memphis, I was in Kansas City. I had more space than you had Mm -hmm. to process my feelings. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time being mad, being scared. You know, part of it is naturally this could be me. And then the loss of the person you've known all your life. And what happened for me is I came to an understanding, and my writing really helped me with this, 
that I wanted to stay connected with my mom. And if I wanted to do that, I was going to have to learn to appreciate her exactly as she was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a snap decision. I made the decision many times, <laughs> um, you know, pra- a spiritual practice. But one thing that happened is well, I started, I'm an essay writer among other things, so I started writing essays about my experiences with my mom and dad. For me, part of it was just putting meaning to it, saying where are the gifts and blessings in this, mm-hmm. and that helped me find them. And so there was a time where I was going to be giving a reading at a literary society, and Ron and I were performing together, and I had some, you know, motherhood essays and some short fiction, and I said to Ron, I'm going to read one of these Alzheimer's essays. And he said, who wants to hear about Alzheimer's? Mm, I said, I don't know, (laughs) but I know I'm supposed to read it. Mm. So I was really nervous about reading this, but afterwards... So many people came up, and that's what they wanted to talk about. People I knew but didn't know. They had relatives who were living with dementia. People I didn't know came up and wanted to share their stories. And so that's when I knew how powerful this business of being vulnerable and sharing your stories was and how that was part of my journey to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And logistically speaking, what sort of care was your mom getting at the same time that you were sort of negotiating your way through it personally? My dad and mom were very independent. We had talked many times before this about them moving up to be closer to me, and it had never happened. But shortly after my mom was diagnosed, my father had a stroke, and that was very scary And it was even scarier when I flew down there, and I'm in the hospital room, and Mom is sitting there, Dad is there, all hooked up to all this stuff. And I said, well, how did you get to the hospital? You took an ambulance ride. He said, oh, no, your mother drove me. Oh, my goodness. My mother had not been driving, so my father (laughs) didn't want to spend money (laughs) on an ambulance, didn't want to bother anybody. So he had to tell my mom when to put her foot on the accelerator and when to put it on the brake and pray she knew the difference. And that, that experience was a turning point for my dad. He finally agreed, we're going to move up to be close to you. They didn't want to live with me. They moved nearby to a retirement community. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that's not going to work. So my mom first moved her into assisted living because that was all we could handle. We needed assisted living, my dad and I. Mm -hmm. And she was in assisted living, and they didn't really know how to care for her. Did he move in with her? No. He stayed, and then we just visited a lot, a lot. So he was in the retirement community where he ultimately passed, and she was initially in assisted living. Okay. Yes, close by. And then we moved her to a memory care unit, Uh and then from there, one final memory care unit. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I've come to realize more and more about assisted living is that they are wholly unprepared to deal with dementia patients, for the most part, my experience. And that is a huge component of care now. Yes, people need help with the tasks of daily living. That's a huge component of assisted living. But so many people who go into assisted living have dementia. Yes, yes. And our experience was was a lovely place with great people, 
but they didn't know how to handle aberrant behavior. So we figured that out the hard way. We mm. we learned a lot, all of us, from those experiences. Mm-hmm. But for us, my father was not emotionally suited to taking care of my mom after she declined a little. Mm-hmm. He wanted her in a place. I think for our family, that was a good decision. Yeah. Some families are great, you know, hosting their, caring for their person at home. My father, would that wouldn't have suited him. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to be there a lot and be there for my mom and still have the support of people doing the physical work. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was grateful for that help. Mm-hmm. And it really is individualized, isn't it? There's no one size it fits is. all. Yeah. There isn't. You know, every family has to do what is right for all of them. And and I think that's a really important piece is not just thinking about the person who's living with dementia, but thinking about the whole family and how everyone can support each other best. I um in my new book that's coming out, Connecting in the Land of Dementia, there's a really interesting piece from John Zeisel, and he talks about creating a circle of hope when someone is diagnosed with dementia, sitting with family and friends and talking about, how can we support you? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things would you like us to do? Lori LeBay, who's a wonderful um, host on Alzheimer Speaks, talks about this to of making a list of what what's important to you in your everyday life really talking those things through mm-hmm. and we didn't do that we weren't smart enough to do that yeah but, but you know you're right in the middle of it and yeah, um, you just don't yeah. see the forest for you the don't. trees but i love that i you know i think that's a really interesting idea mm-hmm. what about your brother how did he handle it did it change your relationship with him well i think it drew us all closer And so I'm very lucky. I have a very supportive brother. He was actually living in Tokyo during a lot of this time, but he managed to come home about every three or four months, Mm -hmm. where he was so helpful in being my advocate with our father. Mm -hmm. Because in our household, the men ruled. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, you know, it radically altered my relationship with my dad because before my mom was sort of my go-to person. Right. I love my dad. Yeah. But now he and I were total teammates mm-hmm. in my mom's care. And we talked through everything and we celebrated everything. But I was worried about my dad. And that's where my brother came in. And so I would talk to my brother and I would say, dad isn't eating right and he you know I've suggested he do this this and this and he doesn't want to do it and then my brother would talk to my dad like he and I hadn't mano talked. mano <laughs> yes mano a mano and lo and behold my dad would be agreeable so this was we really had a good team going on trying to take care of both my mom and my dad during this period and my brother it was almost easier for me because I saw my mom changing. Where my, it was more startling for my brother who had come into town and sometimes things had changed a lot since he'd visited. That was difficult. 
but he did a great job. And, and maybe was, he noticed things that you didn't notice. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the things I learned that's so important is including friends and family as you can in your visits, in your time together, because that was so helpful to me. A dear friend of mine volunteered to come visit my mom with me, and I was so excited. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't carrying all the baggage I was of, this is my mom. <laughs> she just, here's a pretty woman who's got a pleasant personality, who happens to be living in a memory unit, you know, uh-huh. who's interesting, and she's got a story to tell. And that story I had heard a hundred times, but my friend hadn't heard it a hundred times, and she gave me a new perspective of how interesting this is and how adventuresome my mother was. Mm-hmm. And this is a great story. Yeah, you talk about that in Love in the Land of Adventure, about hearing your mother differently. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And in one of your videos, you talk about answering your mom's repeated questions. You say your job is, quote, to answer the same questions in a new and different way each time. And you see that as a creative opportunity. Talk a little bit, if you can, about that whole repetition thing that we all kind of get used to. And we have to do something with it, you know? Yes. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because I really do think the care partnering experience is one of great creativity, flexibility, and spirituality. And the creativity comes in that you never know what is going to happen. And so to be able to open yourself up and make the most of whatever situation is going on is really creative. So for my mom, you know, I, I started thinking about the creativity of limitation, which is that, as you said, you hear the same thing, you hear the same question many different times in a row, and so the creative challenge is how am I going to embrace a question each time and have a different response each time? Mm-hmm. And so I often looked for, you know, what what are the gifts for me and my mom in this? That was one of the gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of wonderful tools out there. Um, the validation therapy is one of them where you are really, you know, trying to find out what is behind the repetition. Mm -hmm. Is there a desire? Is there a need that the person can't quite express that maybe you can bring out with questions? Mm -hmm. I often tried that with my mom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it just didn't. But I, I really honor that idea. I was thinking of a story in Connecting in the Land of Dementia that I think Tipa Snow told about a woman in a home and she kept going to the back door and she wanted to go out. And, of course, they redirected her and it happened many, many times. Later, when somebody who really understood how to talk with someone who's living with dementia was there, they learned that she wanted to go look at the rose garden. Mm. She didn't want to go home. 
she didn't want to escape. There was a rose garden outdoors. She had raised roses. She wanted to go look at it. But part of that was through asking questions. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, there's a whole training element to that, and there's so many great people out there doing that work. But for those care partners who aren't trained, then then you're just trying different things. Right. And that's wonderful, too. You're just trying. Kind of making it up as you go along. You're making it up. And that's okay. And it it doesn't matter if you make a little mistake, then you just try something else. And I was thinking about the time (laughs) we went out to eat, and it was here in Kansas City. It was a really hot summer day, and my mom couldn't remember how to sit down in the car. And I was, huh. it was like, I didn't know what, I felt so embarrassed. And, and then I thought, you know, mom's not going to care. She's not going to care if I try again and again. Right. So I let go of my embarrassment uh-huh. about I'm not doing a good job of helping my mother sit down in the car. And I just started over and I tried different things. And finally one worked and we moved on. Yeah, I think this is particularly difficult for people like me who are just fixers. And Mm -hmm. we have to get used to this idea that you might not get it right the first time around. And you might have to take a step back and uh, let your mind expand. (laughs) Just uh, one of the big lessons for me was getting comfortable in the not knowing. Oh, yes. Yeah. I I, I think you brought up something that is so important. You don't know. And there's no right or wrong answers. You're just exploring this new relationship, in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I love what you just said, you know, about how you really have to open wide in your mind and see all the possibilities. Well, you also have to kind of change the way you move through the world. I mean, we're so used to doing everything quickly, things happen quickly, we're bombarded by sensory images, by messages, by people Mm -hmm. who want our attention. And I often find that when I'm with my mom, everything around me just falls away. And I am so <laughs> in that moment with her. And it's really, for me, it's, it's the time I feel most alive. But it's such a shift from how I move through the world in my everyday life. But being aware of it, I have to work at being aware of that constantly. I think mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful thing you said, and I felt that too. And often when I ask a care partner, what are the gifts you've received Mm -hmm. from this journey, they'll say, patient, slowing down, living in the present. Well, that's what everybody wants, and you do get that. And you're right, you kind of have to let go of your really super efficient, super daughter role or super son or super wife role and just be and see what unfolds. Mm-hmm. It's quite wonderful when it works. Yes. Quite wonderful. <laughs> we should tell our listeners that you have an MBA that you, uh, you say you use only in case of emergencies. So, <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> how, how did you go from writing business books to writing books on dementia care? And I guess the so companion question there is, why did you choose to write this book, Love in the Land of Dementia? I think I needed to write the book. I've always written personal essays in addition to business and other kinds of writing. So I was used to sort of documenting my life. But it started out as just a way of staying sane and managing my emotions. And then it grew to be a way to notice the gifts and blessings 
then I realized, just like what you said about being in the moment, these are amazing moments. I don't want to forget them. So I felt like I was capturing my mom and her history for me, but also for my family. But it was really for me. And then at some point, one of my writing friends said, well, you know you're writing a book. I said, (laughs) what? He said, yeah, you're writing a book, and you're probably going to need to wait till your mom dies to finish it. That was exactly what happened, but I was very close to finishing it. One of the great things, Jenna, I got to do was I got to read my parents a few of the stories. Oh, that's great. I received their blessing that's great. on this. So I really love having that blessing and having them see what I was doing. And so then initially, when I finished the book, I realized that I wanted complete control over it. <laughs> and... Um, You know, I wanted control over the just everything. Mm -hmm. And that also, I wanted to use it as a way to raise money for dementia programs because I had received so much help and encouragement and assistance from our Heart of America Alzheimer's chapter. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give back to them and to whatever dementia-related organizations we were working with. So that was a great thing for me to do is to have that experience of putting together the book. We had some dear friends who were in publishing who helped us and then getting to share it, but having all the money go to a charitable cause. Mm-hmm. Did you do that through the um, traveling that you and Ron did? Was that, was that how you raised the money? I mean, I know that you, you, the two of you have traveled the world connecting with care partners, and this is a global issue, which makes it not so surprising that you were able to yes. connect with that global audience. Tell us more about those performances, uh, those excerpts, those readings, and how they came about. Well, we, we decided that whenever we were going to be traveling, we would reach out to whatever the local Alzheimer's community was to see if they would like us to share some stories with them. And so that's what we did. And sometimes people called out to us, but a lot of times it was us just we knew we were going to be there. We reached out. And it was amazing to be in a different culture and yet have shared experiences with the other care partners. We loved it. Every time was meaningful. And these are stories of my heart. And people responded from their hearts. So we've shared in Italy and ancient cathedral in Florence. That was just an amazing experience working with someone from their Alzheimer's society there. Uh And while we were there, the priest came up after our performance and he said, the person with Alzheimer's is the pupil in God's eye. That's deep. <laughs> it's very deep. We have thought of that many times. Yeah. So these were trips that you were taking for pleasure in any mm-hmm. case, that you took, a, took the opportunity to reach out while you were there. Okay. So they weren't necessarily yeah. sponsored trips. So these were uh, trips that you made on your own dime. Great. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you how long your mom lived with the disease before she died, and what was the hardest part about the journey that you went on with her? She lived about seven years from the time she was diagnosed. So she was probably another year or two before that that 
you know, things were a little wonky but manageable. Yeah. I'd say the hardest part was the initial part of just feeling all the loss. And then when my mom first didn't know who I was, that was really hard. Yeah. But what I like about having experienced that is I had to get past it. And I think it, in the end, I feel like I had a really deep relationship with my mom way past the time she could speak because we connected on a deep spiritual level. My mom was an amazing person. She was also kind of judgmental. Mm -hmm. And all that judgmentalness went away and her playful side came out. So Ron and I both really enjoyed that playful part of her. And then, you know, she would look into your eyes. I mean, we could look into each other's eyes. And that's not something you get to do every day with another person. And it's very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Well, you chose to get past it. Yes. And it's, and it's understandable and so easy to fall into despair and to feel helpless. But at a certain point, you kind of grow up. I know for me, I had to, I mean, I wasn't a child, but that role reversal that we all experience, if we allow ourselves to experience it, can be a wonderful thing. It really can be. That is very well said. You have to choose. And I think we all have a time period it takes us, yeah. you know, to go, okay, this is the way it is, and I'm accepting that. And now, what's fun about it? What's good about it? What's okay about right. it? I do think other people can really help that. And I remember towards the end of mom's life, we had hospice come in. Mm-hmm. And that was like an amazing gift for me because here's my mom, not very responsive at all, and the hospice social worker saying, now, what does your mom like to do? What kind of magazines <laughs> does she like to oh, read? Yeah. And she's saying these things, and I'm now thinking about my mom as this vibrant person where I had gotten a little stuck in thinking about my mom as a patient. Mm -hmm. It helped me so much get a fresh look at the situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for all the times that people just helped me get a fresh look. And I was really lucky. I got to be with my mom while she died. I hadn't been with my dad. I was out of the country. I was the farthest away from home I'd Mm. ever been when Mm. my dad died. Luckily, I had talked to him a couple days before he died, Mm -hmm. but I had this feeling like I'm supposed to call my dad, and we were in New Zealand, and there were no fun, we had nothing, and I just, this feeling kept persisting until finally I found a payphone, and I called, and I learned my dad had died. It was very, very bizarre. But with my mom, I got to be there and help her through that end part of her life. So that was really wonderful. That's it for today. Be sure to tune in for part two of our conversation with Deborah Schaus next Thursday. That's June 23rd, when she'll tell us all about her upcoming book, Connecting in the Land of Dementia, Creative Activities to Explore Together. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritas, and you can listen and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the Speak Up Talk radio network. 
the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiver stories from the field. Go to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z. Or Z, as my Canadian mother always says. I'm Jana Panaritas. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.